chapter 10. Uh, we're celebrating Mother's Day today. Happy Mother's Day to uh, all the moms in our congregation, grandmothers in our congregation. Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing the theme of children in the worship service. We've been asking the question for the last few weeks uh, in this section of our sermon series, uh, the people of Jesus and how uh, we ought to be living. So this morning we're going to consider uh, the people of Jesus and the children of Jesus. But before I begin my sermon, I've asked Allie Moss if she would come and talk to you uh, just a little bit about a ministry in which she's involved in some of her life experience. Because we know Mother's Day for some is very joyful, and for others it can be a bit of a challenge. So Allie, if you would come uh, and just share your thoughts, I would really appreciate it. I'm Allie Moss. Um, some of you may remember that last year I came up here and shared my own story of miscarriage and infertility. I'm here today because it's Mother's Day, and for several years this was the most difficult day on the calendar for me. I'm overjoyed that now I have two children and I'm glad to be able to celebrate this day, but I also can't help but remember all the rough years and think about all the women that are still in a similar place deep breath, sorry. <laughs> um, maybe it's because you're not a mom and you so desperately desire to have a child to call your own. Maybe you've lost a baby that you didn't get to meet or watch grow. Or maybe your family just isn't growing the way that you have planned it would. I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about the hurt that's in your heart on this day. I'll be with the prayer team in the front of church after, in front of church after the service if you want to come talk or pray. And as Tom said, I'm part of a support group that um, meets called Strength for Today. And we just try to walk alongside women that are going through um, infertility or miscarriage or adoption to support them. You can look in your bulletin or on the website for more information. And actually, we're meeting this Thursday if you're interested in that. Thank you. Allie was nervous about coming up front. I just said, that wasn't terrible, was it? She goes, yes, that was terrible. So. <laughs> and uh, that's actually really one of the things I, I deeply love about the church where I get to serve is that we are very honest around here. And we, we talk about the reality of life. And so we're going to be talking about kids this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, our opportunity to impact their lives. And I'm thankful that uh, you know some folks this week looked at me and said, yeah, but... There are other folks that, that struggle, and how are we going to help them and try to encourage them? So I hope that you found her words uh, um, peaceful and caring, uh, because I know her heart, and I know that that's her intent. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10 this morning. We are going to talk about our children and the opportunity that we have uh, to impact their lives. As you know, our children are very impressionable uh, as they uh, go through their early years. Uh, I heard a story a uh, pastor told me of a young woman in his church who was about five years old, and she always introduced herself. When anybody ever said, what's your name? She would always say, I'm Mr. Sugar Brown's daughter. That was her last name, so she always said, I'm Mr. Sugar Brown's daughter. Till one day her mother corrected her. She said, honey, that, that's not right. When someone asks you who you are, you say, I'm Jane Sugar Brown. That's how you introduce yourself. So she was walking down the hallway the next Sunday, and the pastor stopped her and said, aren't you Mr. Sugar Brown's daughter? And she said, I thought I was, but my mom said that's not true. <laughs> Assuming you don't want to call from the pastor in the middle of the week, let me encourage you to 
take that lesson to heart. <laughs> but, but what about our children? What does our discipleship have to do with, with raising kids? Now, I'm not talking to just parents this morning. Uh, I'm talking to all of us because all of us have a responsibility for the children of this church. Uh, clearly, we have a greater responsibility for our own, but uh, we make promises to lead our, our children to Christ so that they will know him. So what should that look like, and what does Jesus have to say about uh, his people and their children? Luke, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, uh, just four verses this morning, verses 13 through 16. It's a passage, perhaps, uh, with which you're familiar. Hear the word of God. Speaking about the, the crowds of people around Jesus, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And that word uh, children there means small ones, little ones, probably babies through, you know, toddlers and maybe a little older than that. So they were bringing the little ones to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, them being his disciples, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we know that uh, our children are a gift from the Lord. Father, we know we only have so many years uh, with our children to influence them and encourage them in their faith. And then, Lord, eventually, ultimately, many of them have responsibility for their, for their own children to do the same. So, Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, we see uh, your disciples, well-meaning though they were, way off the mark. And I pray that you would teach us this morning. Father, one of the blessings of Green Tree is that uh, we seem to take pretty seriously and, and care deeply about our children's ministry, but if we're not careful, we could lose that. We could miss that. We could, we could begin to see our children in a different light than we should. And so, Father, uh, may we not be arrogant or prideful, but rather may we be humble, humble and have listening hearts to understand your will for your children and how that flows to us and then through us to them. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and learn this morning individually as a congregation. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, let me give you the sermon in a sentence this morning. It's pretty straightforward. It, it probably won't surprise you at all. Loving children well, I should say loving our children well, and pointing them to Jesus is one of the most godly things we can do. Loving our children well and pointing them to Jesus, which I see as two, two sides of the same coin, is one of the most godly things that we can do. I want to give you four observations out of this text, which I think will help us in that direction. The first of which is, is kind of who, who are these kids? Where did they come from? You might find yourself saying that when you're reaching for a donut out at the intersection of coffee and donut out there, and they're all gone. There are no donut holes left, and you see six kids walking by with cups that are overflowing with donut holes with about seven of them already smashed in their mouth, and you're thinking, whose kids are these? What are they, what are they doing? Don't they know any better? Who, who are these kids? Well, in verse 13, I think we see that there are two attitudes that you can take towards children. Verse 13 says they were bringing, that, that are the moms and dads or grandparents, they were bringing children to him 
that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So the first way you have to look at this is, what if it's my child, right? Not somebody else's, but what if it's my child? And, and words that might come to mind when you think about your own child, unless it was really, really hard to get here this morning, and Sunday mornings can tend to be that way, but set that aside for a few minutes and assume the car ride didn't happen the way it happened this morning. Generally speaking, how do you feel about your child or your children? The word precious was one of the words that came to my mind. My children are very precious to me. My kids are 31, 20, how old is Katie? She was born in 86, so she's 29. She had a birthday a couple months ago, and Jordan just had a birthday. He's 24, right? They're, they're, they're growing up. They're big. One of them has three kids. Another one has a child on the way, and as far as I know, the other one's single and doesn't have any, and that's we want to keep it that way for a while, but they're out of the house. They're, they're on their own. They're grown, but they're precious to me. They're very important to me. I'm going to go see him on Memorial Day weekend, and I, and I can't leave St. Louis until late on Sunday, and I have to come back late on Monday night. That's a three-and-a-half-hour drive and a three-and-a-half-hour drive back in 24 hours or less, but I don't care because my children are precious to me, and you get that. You understand that. My hopes and my dreams on some way are wrapped up in my children. I have three granddaughters. Katie's pregnant with our fourth granddaughter. I love my granddaughters, but my hopes and dreams, I'd like the Rick's name to continue. So I'm like, hey, guys, let's just keep that in the back of our minds, okay? Let's just think about a boy somewhere in the mix, right? So you get it. You understand when it's your kid, when it's your grandchild. <laughs> we got a picture of two of our granddaughters at, at uh, a place over in Kansas City. It's kind of like the Magic House here in Kirkwood. And they're standing with their backs to us, and, and you're looking, they're looking at some screen. There's some kind of play thing. And, and Sydney's like this picture. She goes, oh, look at those cute little legs. Aren't those the most adorable legs? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're really wonderful and beautiful and, and exciting. Why? Not Because they're, they're, they're ours. They're nothing special. One of them's kind of chunky. You shouldn't say that. But, but they are, right? But she's only one. So, right, she'll grow out of that. Um, or she might not. But she'll be ours. And it won't matter. She'll be precious to us. And you understand that. These folks are bringing... They're, they're, they're precious children to Jesus. But there are other people that don't look at my kids that way. <laughs> there are other individuals that don't see your children and go, oh, aren't they precious, right? And we have that right here in the text. That's what I, I love about the Bible. The Bible's so honest and so real and so true. It says they're bringing these people, clearly the looks in their eyes, right? The, the, the anticipation, the excitement of having Jesus just touch their child. And here are the disciples going, are you kidding me? What an annoyance this is, right? So when it isn't their kid, when it's somebody else's, what does it say? The disciples rebuked them. The disciples said to the, the parents and the grandparents, basically, why are you wasting Jesus' time with these children? So while we might look at our own children as precious, holding our hopes and dreams, we might look at, at your child and say, you know, there's a little bit of irritation, a little bit of nuisance. It's cute when my child takes 18 donut holes, but it's not when yours, right? Because it's somebody else's. They become a distraction, maybe to important work that we need to get done. How do we see the children of Green Tree Community Church? We probably go back and forth sometimes. There are probably sometimes on Sunday morning uh, when, when you're here, and we encourage families to bring their children into the worship service. We encourage families, and, the, and more so, we have more folks that do that in the second service because a lot of our children are in Sunday school right now. But we encourage our families to do that, and, and it may be that there's an occasion where you're sitting next to a crying child. How do, you, how do you relate to that? What do you say to that mom or to that dad? 
Do you look at them as if to say, I can't hear the sermon, would you please take your child out? Or do you love them proactively and say, why don't you sit and listen to the sermon and let me hold your baby for a little while? Small things make all the difference in the world. But we have to look at our hearts, brothers and sisters, because I don't think it's kind of a one time we always look at kids perfectly. Nor do I think it's one time where, where we always mess up constantly. It's probably a little bit of both. But when we are together collectively, when we walk through these doors on Sunday morning, is our mindset to, the, to at least consider the fact that we are here to love children well and to lead them to Jesus, even if we're not in a classroom with them. Even if our interaction with them is limited to the hallway or limited to a couple of seconds in this room, do we have collectively and individually the mindset that this is someone's child who is precious? my first observation the text the second one is that they were clearly who are these children they were they were people that were important to Jesus look at verse 14 but when Jesus saw it when Jesus saw the disciples being exasperated and telling the parents to stop wasting his time with these children when Jesus saw it he was indignant and he said to them let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus was vexed with his disciples. He was put out. He was annoyed. Why is that the case? Why is it that Jesus was frustrated with his disciples? What were they missing? I mean, after all, what's wrong with saying to somebody, hey, hey you know, keep the kids quiet in church. Don't let them disrupt anybody around them. What, what's the problem with that? Now, I believe parents should take care of their kids in church. But why is Jesus displeased? with his disciples. I believe it's because his disciples were hindering and not creating a pathway to God for these children. Let me try to, to draw that out a little bit. What I'm really after here, and what I think this text is really after, is that, that we have the opportunity to create an impression with our children from the earliest ages. I mean from the very earliest ages that God does or doesn't care for them that they are important to God or they're less than important to God. So in, in my role as a pastor, one of the things that, that I saw growing up, I grew up in the church, and one of the things I saw growing up in the church was that there was a, a good number of, of folks who were pastor's kids who really were kind of messed up. They, they really uh, did not love the Lord. They, they really did not like their parents. They really struggled, and I wondered about that. But when you would hear them talking, they would say, Things like, you know, my dad's never around. He loves the church more than he loves us. He has time for everybody else, but he doesn't have any time for us. And that sunk in deeply with me when I would hear that, not because I ever actually intended to go in the ministry. I never intended to do what I'm doing today. I had a very different career path, but God chose differently, and you can praise him for that or question his, his decision-making. I'll leave that to you. But it always struck me that, that pastor's kids were some of the kids that were the most messed up. So when I eventually stopped fighting against God and ended up becoming a pastor, one of the things that, I, that Cindy and I talked about was we don't want our children to hate God because their dad's a pastor of a church. So we worked hard at that, and we, we tried diligently to make that part of our lives. But I've never stopped and asked my children how that worked out for them. I mean, I've observed in their lives, and I think it was okay, but I've never asked them. So I sent them an email this week. I sent all three of them the same email, and I basically said to them, you know, I don't want you to say, oh, Dad, it was fine, it was great. I want you to seriously think about this, and I want you to tell me whether you had a positive impact or a negative impact on how I related to my job and how I related to you and where you felt as a priority in my life uh, based on being a pastor and how that may have impacted you. And I knew what would happen happened. Haven't heard from the boys yet, and Katie wrote me a long letter. So... <laughs> 
I'm quite certain by next Thursday, Nate will send me something. And Jordan, when I see him on Memorial Day, go, oh, yeah, didn't you send me an email a few weeks ago? I want to read you what part of what Katie wrote. Um, and it's going to sound, she's very encouraging. And I'm not reading it because I want to say Pat Tom on the back. I want to read it because it says, praise God, that, that God kept me from screwing it up terribly. But here's, here's what she said. For me, it had to do mostly with prioritizing and quality time. I always felt and still feel like you are accessible if and when I need you, and that you made a point to be there for me, not because you had to, but because you wanted to. I think the accessible part was important because I would feel free to call you for anything, anytime. I might not be able to reach you, but I never felt like a burden when trying. I also felt like you enjoyed quality time with me when we had it, and therefore it didn't feel like your job or role in work was something I was competing against. I can't remember a time when I didn't feel confident that given the option, you would much rather be hanging out with me or with all of us. That might be my own personal confidence and, and how fun I am, too. <coughs> More like her father than her mother, unfortunately. I don't think it boils down to, uh, too much, uh, to too much more than having a relationship where you feel greatly wanted by a person um, you know will follow up. So that's how I describe what I think you did well and where I think you represented Christ well. For young parents, I'm not really one yet, but I would say encouraging them to make strong bonds and relationships with their kids so the kids feel secure in that regardless of what other stuff happens in their life. Pastor's kids don't always use the best words when they're writing to their dad. Stuff in their lives. Uh, that security can go a long way. It's simple stuff like saying loving things and doing stuff together. Not much more, not, there's not much more kids want. I truthfully can't think of a time when I felt less important or loved than your job. If an example comes to mind, though, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> In other news, I'm up at 6 a.m. The baby has decided that it's a fun time to move around a lot. <laughs> Good for the baby. I hope she does it more. Um, so I'm not saying, look at Tom. Do not hear that. Please. For the love of Pete, don't hear that. But hear the emphasis on making, attempting to create a pathway where children look at us and they can discern that God loves them through the way we treat them. I didn't get to every one of my kids' games. There were times when I had to do things in my job that, that conflicted. I was not a perfect father. I'm sure if she stops and thinks about it long enough, she'll come up with several times when I really messed it up bad. But the point is that as adults, we have the opportunity to make an impression on our children from the earliest ages that God loves them, that they are important to Jesus, that they're, that they're not in the way, but that they are part of God's plan. For the salvation of this world. So who are these? They're somebody's child. They're, they're somebody that's important to Jesus. But also, they're, thirdly, they're an example of faith. Look at verse 15. Truly I say to you, Jesus is still speaking, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus now actually changes the object of the conversation. The object of the conversation to this point has been children and bringing them to God, so to speak. Now the conversation switches and Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God. So here's where the conversation is absolutely for every person in this room. Whether you ever volunteer for the children's ministry or not, whether you ever have children or not, Jesus is talking to you and to me about how we should approach our relationship with him and what it means to be part 
of the kingdom of God. And the first thing we should see is the trust of a child. Unless you, excuse me, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. How does a child trust? A child trusts intrinsically. A a child that grows up in a home where, where the parents are loving and caring learns very quickly, very early on, that they can trust mom or dad. If you've ever had the experience where you've been standing in the pool and you're trying to get the little one to jump to you, right? And, and, the, you're, and they ask you 50 times, you're not going to move, Dad. You're not going to move, Mom. You're going you're to catch me, right? You're going to catch me. Why are they asking that? Because intrinsically they don't believe you? No, they really do. They're just scared at that moment. And that's their way of verbalizing that they do trust you and that they are eventually, it might be 45 minutes from now, they are going to jump, right? Children have, have this intrinsic nature of trusting. But there's also the contentment of a child. There's also the sense that, and if you heard Katie say it, children don't need much more than that. Much more than what? Than a parent who, who just loves them and makes them a priority in their life. When, when mom or dad are around and when mom or dad are speaking the important truths of the gospel into our lives, you know, things kind of settle down a little bit and, and it becomes, the home can become a place of peace and a place of contentment. And Jesus says that's how you approach your relationship with, jo- with God as a child who trusts his or her father. He says, I believe in the goodness of my heavenly father, and I'm content in that place. Heard a story this week about a little boy who was about four years old, and there was a real bad thunderstorm uh, in the evening. His mom was putting him to bed, and he was really scared. And so uh, he looked up at mom, and he was kind of trembling a little bit, and the lightning was flashing. He said, Mom, do you, do you think you could sleep in here tonight with me? Could you sleep with me? And so she's tucking him in, and she's patting him on the head, and she says, no, sweetie, you're going to be okay. We're right next door, but I, I have to sleep in daddy's room. And he's kind of quivering a little bit, and then he kind of gets a mad look on his face, and he goes, that big sissy. (laughs) There's something about about mom being right there. There's something about dad being right there that the lightning flashing, the thunder isn't going to stop. But mom or dad is there, so it's okay. Friends, hear that spiritual truth for us this morning. The lightning and thunder in your life is not going to stop because you're a disciple of Jesus. We talked about that last week. But because you're in your father's arms, because you are cared for by eternally by a father who has loved you before creation ever w- was in existence, you can know that he's going, to, he's going to get you home. And he's going to care for you. And the question is, will we believe in this manner? Will we ultimately trust God? Because you're going to pass something on of your faith to your children one way or the other. It it, it might be good, it might be bad, it might be indifferent, but whatever is your attitude towards faith is going to become, on some level, your children's attitude of faith. So if your faith says, I've got to work hard to get my father to love me, that's how your children are going to believe. That's what they're going to see about a relationship with God. If you say, you know, God's indifferent and he's out there someplace and he doesn't care what happens to us, and you measure everything about God based upon what's happening in your immediate circumstances, then that's the faith that you're going to pass on to your children. So one of the reasons that it's absolutely essential that you and I get this text, and in particular this point, that unless we have a childlike faith, we we won't enter the kingdom of God. Not only for our own spiritual well-being, we want to enter the kingdom of God, but also that that's what we would pass on to our children. But it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. No one can boast, right? Christ died for us so that we might live in him. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ. Those are the, that's the gospel we want to pass on to our children. Is it a reality in your life and in my life? We can only give that which we have. My fourth observation in this text is not only are they somebody's child, not only are they important to Jesus, not only is this an example of faith, but they are objects of God's affections. Look at verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I've jotted down in my notes here, there really isn't much better than a hug, is there? I mean, when things are really tough, when you're really struggling, to have somebody in particular, a mom or a dad, come along and and give you a hug and let you know it's going to be okay. Some of you are experiencing your first, first Mother's Day without your mom this year, and Maybe that's one of the things you miss is just, you know, the hug. And, and you might be 60 years old and, and you still miss a hug. A hug is a pretty, a pretty cool thing. It's a pretty powerful instrument to display love. There, there, there really isn't much better than a hug except perhaps a blessing. So the first thing we see is that Jesus takes them in his arms, right? He hugs them. He, he cuddles them. He, he, he squeezes on them. He lets them know that they're safe with him, that they're important to him, that they're precious to him. And, and if the verse stopped there and there was a period and we, and we went on to Jesus' interaction with, with the rich young ruler in and, and verse 17, that would be okay. But there's more, and it's really cool that there's more. Not only does Jesus hug them, but what else does he do while they're in his arms? He blesses them. He proactively brings God into their lives. Let me read for you what William Hendrickson, who's a, uh, a theologian, wrote about this particular verse. Not only has Jesus rebuked the disciples for their attempt to prevent the little ones from being brought to him, but he has also actually called to himself these infants together with those who wanted to bring uh, them. And now each mother or father, etc., carries their little child into the very presence of Jesus. That each one, excuse me, that is each one in its turn. The master takes the first child in his arms and places the hand of his other arm upon his head. And he tenderly and fervently blesses the little one by means of uttering a brief but earnest prayer to the father that his blessing may be bestowed upon it. While he does this, his heart filled with love and compassion goes out to this little one. Finished, he returns the child to the one who has brought it. He then treats the next little one in the same manner and the next, and the next, until all have been blessed. It must have been a most impressive, comforting, and memorable scene. I would certainly agree with that. But I I love what Henderson has captured there. It's the notion that not just is Jesus holding this child, but he's actually offering the blessing of God. That's why I love baptisms at Green Tree. Y'all stick around for the second service. We're going to have a baptism. I love baptisms. Why? We're not just cuddling our children. We're not just saying, isn't it, isn't it sweet? Look at the little. Every time you put the baby's picture on the screen, the same thing happens. The whole congregation does what they go. Oh, that's it. And they're going to do it again in the second service. So I'll tell them you did it in the first service without even seeing the picture. That's how caring you guys are for our children, right? That's not why we baptize our children. I know some of you disagree with my theology on baptism. That's okay. You're missing out, but that's all right. Um, because we're acknowledging that our children have come from God and that he alone holds their eternal care in his hands. And we want to be part of them knowing that. We want to be part of them knowing that Jesus loves them. 
that there's a pathway for salvation for them. And so from the very earliest days, and I tell moms and dad who baptize their children, you know, when your children, when your child is seven or eight or nine, somewhere in there when you're sitting in church and another baby is baptized, your child's going to look at you and say, did you do that for me and what does that mean? That's how Katie actually became a Christian. Did you have me baptized? You know, she wants to make sure she doesn't miss out, right? You, you had me baptized, right? right? That's what you do around here. I'm like, yeah, you did. We did. Let us tell you about that. And that's how Cindy led her to Christ. It's an amazing thing. I'm not saying that, that that's the only reason for baptism, but it's, it's that blessing of God. It's not just a hug. It's a blessing of God. So what do we do with all this? How do we apply it individually? And how do we apply it at Green Tree Community Church? Just a couple thoughts here. The first is we have to ask ourselves, have I come to Christ in childlike faith? Am I resting in Christ for my salvation, or, or am I thinking it's about my works or it's about my effort? If I go to church enough, if there really is a God, then he's got to take that into account, and he'll let me into heaven if there is a heaven. We need to think more deeply than that. We need to be more honest about the, the questions of eternal life and salvation, the deep issues of our hearts and of our souls. And God very clearly paints a picture of our trusting in him individually with a childlike faith. May that faith be each one of ours today. Secondly, I think one of the questions we have to ask when it comes to application is, how do the children around here think about God based on my behavior? How do the children of Green Tree Community Church, or your own children, if you're in the parenting years where, where you're still raising your kids, what do they see about God in you? through you? Now, you're not always going to get it right, but that's where you get to teach your kids about repentance and about asking for forgiveness. You still, even when you get it wrong, you still get to point your children to Jesus. But for those of us that come and go on Sunday mornings and maybe throughout the week and don't have children, are they seeing Christ in us? Can they deduce from what they see of us and the way we interact with them that what their mother and father are telling them about Jesus is exactly right? Thirdly, I think we all have to ask the question, where can I pitch in? I was talking to a, a buddy who goes here. His name's Bill Tucky. He won't mind me using him as an example this morning. Bill was a, a, a teacher in the, or a principal in the Webster School District for a lot of years. And in our new building, we're actually going to have a desk where people can check in with their children on the lower level. It's really kind of cool the way that's going to be. But we need people to man that desk on Sunday morning. And we don't need young moms and dads to man that desk because they're trying to get their kids in and out of Sunday school and to the right place. And, and, and we don't need to take away Sunday school teachers out of the classroom to man the desk. So for everybody who's my age or older, and I'm 56, okay, so I'll make the cutoff there, 56 or older, we should all sign up to help Bill Tucky because he's taken on the job of staffing that table. You don't, you don't have to even know how to handle kids to do that. You just got to be able to, to help somebody find the right spot. There's all kinds of ways that you and I, directly and indirectly, can impact the children of this church, but we certainly individually need to give it some thought. And then last thought I have is just kind of whom can I, can I impact? It might be a casual conversation in the hallway. I don't know how you're going to interact with the children of this church. Uh, I remember one of the first times I did a children's sermon at Green Tree. It was on Easter, and it was about our fourth year, and we had, I, I don't know, maybe three or four dozen beanie babies up here. Yeah, Beth's shaking her head, right? Yeah, I remember this. And so I, I picked up one of the beanie babies, and I can't even remember what the point was and, and what we were doing, but I said, oh, this, you know, this must be George the beanie baby. And this girl next to me says, that's not George, that's so-and-so, and he's from such-and-such. -and, -such. and she just dressed me down in front of the whole congregation. And, and my response there was, thank you so much. That's all I had, <laughs> right? 
that's not a whole lot, but I could treat her with grace in front of a crowd of people so that she knows that God is gracious towards her, even when she insists on, on being right. right? We all have something to offer. We don't know where it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. But we need to be prayerful and thoughtful as we consider what it means to love our children well and point them to Jesus. As we said at the outset, it's one of the most godly things that we can do. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us as a father loves his children. Father, we thank you that you, you gather us into your arms emotionally and spiritually, and you speak your love and grace and mercy into our lives as a father comforts his children in the midst of a storm, as a mother holds a little one gently to let them know that it's, that it's okay. Father, we pray that that gospel would not only ring true in our own hearts and minds and our own lives, but that, that we would share that with our children, whether it's at the donut table, whether it's in a Sunday school classroom or in, a, in a, just a brief encounter in the hallway. May we be a people that love our children well and point them to Christ so that they too would know his mercy and his grace all the days of their lives. We pray in Christ's name.